hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of the Road to Indie Insider. My name is Rob Howden, and this is one of our breakdown podcasts as we look to review the essentially the tail end of the month of May at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for Indy Lights. And of course, moving uh, west to Lucas Oil Raceway for the USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000 events at the Carb Night Classic. Uh, joining me here today from the motorsportstribute.com, Joey Barnes, a contributor to IndyCar.com as well. Joey, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It's always always a pleasure to come on here, Rob. It is uh, Thursday, May the 30th, a couple days uh, after, of course, the weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Um, I, I've been sleeping well because, man, I, I was bagged after do, ever, doing everything I did with the 500. You as a journalist, you know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning till probably 8, 9 at night. Um, are you any close to being rested up? A little bit. Uh, I'll be honest, the travel lag finally started to, to cut off maybe around Wednesday evening, but yeah. It it took a handful of days. The the month of May hangover is real. Well, you know what? We'll take the opportunity as well because I, I'm assuming you were driving back uh, right before your birthday on Tuesday. So we'll, we'll wish you a happy birthday as well. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. You know, obviously with the work you do, Joey, uh, covering both the road to Indy and IndyCar, you were intently focused uh, on the Carb Day festivities at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And First and foremost, let's just talk kind of on a you know a, a, an upper level, like a, a layer level, not going deep into it. But once again, the Freedom One Hundred, right? Another a show again, keeping everybody out of their seats. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that race always seems to produce. It, I mean, it doesn't seem to matter what kind of package or or how many cars or which drivers we have in the field. We always end up with with a close finish at the end that, that people on Carb Day and, and the fans at home, whenever they tune in, get a chance to enjoy. And, you know, in, in some ways, it really puts the pressure on IndyCar to perform on Sunday with the Indy 500 because the show for even just the, the 100 miles that they do uh, is just spectacular. Well, and obviously we can lay the lay the groundwork that the the package that they have developed with the I, uh, Dallara IL fifteen it's designed to be you know to to work for pack racing right. We have uh, there's only you know there's a certain amount of arrow. The engine map that they put on the on the car uh, does not once on a normal road race map once you hit the rev limiter it kind of falls off a bit at the rev limiter. They've smoothed that out for for the freedom and I believe for gateway as well, where it, it the, the engine will level off. So if you're coming behind someone in the draft and you, you're, you're getting there and you hit that rev limiter, it's not going to fall down and fall on its face. When you do pull out, you're going to have enough, enough, you know, enough uh, horsepower and torque to be able to make the move by. But all in all, I, I still believe it's a fantastic um, training exercise for the drivers who want to go to the Indianapolis 500. They get a chance to run wheel to wheel. It's not exactly like what the 500 is like, but Joey, the bottom line is they get to run wheel to wheel. They make a lot of passes. There's a lot of action jammed in that short amount of time, as you said. I tell you this, we should have seen this coming, uh, what, what they happened on Friday at the beginning of the week. Which is, if you recall, on Monday leading in with practice, yeah. I mean, they were four wide. And we got eight, eight rookies in the field and, you know, taking a four wide in practice. No big deal. It just It was insane. Indeed, the Monday test that came out after the qualifying weekend, yeah, they, they didn't waste any time. I know that I think the second run out, uh, Robert McGinnis and, and Renus VK were side by side through one and two, and I was I was just I was holding my breath myself watching them do it. But the bottom line is that that they did have the opportunity during that test to get a good feel for each other, and I think when you throw in Chris Windham again, who obviously tried to run last year but wasn't able to. Uh, you throw in Jared Andretti, another kind of unknown for the the racers who had, had you know done the first couple of weekends uh, in Indy Lights. Uh, all in all, I think that Monday was was a pretty good look, like you said, of what we expected to see on Friday. Yeah, and you know what's funny though is, and, and we we know this because the month of May always brings ridiculous weather. Thank you, Indiana. Yeah, uh, we, we run into a situation where you might have cooler temperatures, but. We all have that anticipation, and by the end of the month, we're going to have really warm temperatures. The cars are going to slide around a bit more. And, you know, the thing that surprised me the most is that these young drivers, for the duration of that race on Friday, even though the conditions were drastically different on Monday when the four-wide practice was happening, essentially, they were able to still race kind of the same way that, that you would hope they were going to be able to. And 
you know, essentially enhance their driving skills, you know, leaps and bounds just from those kind of characteristics. And it, it was really good to see. It was refreshing to see. And I think that speaks volumes, not only to the package, but also to Cooper Tire and also to the adaptability that these drivers have in this field to showcase that kind of talent, to, to just grow with the product, so to speak. Yeah, you look at some of the racers, obviously, that were in the grid there. A number of them have come up through the entire road to Indy through USF 2000 and Indy Pro. So, you know, they were part of that Freedom 75 and Freedom 90 out at Lucas Oil Raceway. So they have a little bit of oval experience. Of course, last year, uh, the year before, rather, running as well at, at Iowa Speedway, at Gateway for Indy Pro. Um, so it was more kind of a guy like Toby Sowery who had absolutely no experience at all on the oval I was very impressed with what he was able to do. But let's let's set the stage here early uh, as we're talking Indy Lights and the Freedom 100. Qualifying, of course, went in the books uh, on Thursday. Uh, Robert McGinnis ended up being the fastest driver for Andretti Autosport, doing a great job in that number 27. And he really has kind of, I want to say, stepped things up since Coda uh, when he raced so well to the podium. Then he got the, the win in the Grand Prix. He ends up getting the pole position, but... Uh, you know, Joey, the interesting thing was, you know, that's happening and we're all kind of on to the next deal. And then we're hearing word coming down at five drivers. Like I was already out at Lucas Oil Raceway, finding out that five of the 11 drivers after qualifying, getting put to the tail of the field due to, to uh, failing technical inspection, certain parts of technical inspection. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was kind of funny and it, it just like you, it, it kind of caught me off guard because I was always used to hearing that there was only a, a few cars that were always kind of taken through. Usually from what my understanding was, it was the top three, maybe because it was a super speedway. It's different. Maybe on road courses, it's slightly different. That's something that I'm still trying to trying to figure out. But I, the fact that just about it, from what I understood, every car had to go through that and five came out on the other end of it. Uh, and you, when you see the names that were a part of that, I mean, you got Oliver Askew's team, you know, he's up there battling for the championship. You got, if I remember right, uh, Renus VK was also yep. among them. So um, Toby Sowery, you know, Toby Sowery, Lucas Cole and Jared Andretti all involved. And it's just, it was staggering to me, but you know, it's the freedom 100 as I wouldn't mind pushing the envelope and qualifying if I was them either, because if you get a good qualifying position, great. If not, it doesn't really hurt you in the race, as we eventually find out. But, you know, it, so you get a chance to play with it a little bit. You're testing the limits, testing the gray area. I got no problem with it. I understand it. It's kind of a part of the game. And um, But it, it was staggering to kind of see that five cars were yeah. involved in that. Interesting. You know, I, I kind of tried to find out what they were, and I, I I got one bit that potentially it was ride height. One of them had to, I think, do with uh, with the way the under tray was put together. But and what I was also told was that nothing. They didn't think anything was blatant, uh, like they weren't actually trying to cheat. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But one one of the weird deals was it ends up so. I, I want to say Renus VK qualified ninth, did not have a good qualifying pace. They had a better race pace, but not a good qualifying pace. He ends up getting DQ'd along with four other drivers. And in that DQ, he ends up advancing, yeah, <laughs> which, I, I, which I, right? Because they took the five drivers who DQ, who got DQ'd and then reordered them based on the where they were in points, hurting Jared Andretti, of course. He goes to the very tail of the field in 11th after qualifying well. Uh, but Renus qualified ninth, gets DQ'd, starts seventh. That was, it's unique. It's, it's nothing wrong with it, but it's unique and a little odd for sure. Yeah, I was I was a little baffled by that. And it sounds like you kind of got the same, I don't want to say run around, but kind of run around. Yeah, as kind I of did. run around. I, I got the same, I got five different answers on the five reasons on the five drivers that were DQ'd. So, uh, you know, I found that kind of fascinating because usually we're used to a situation that whenever there's a, a controversy in qualifying, it's usually all geared towards one thing. Because once everybody, once one person figures it out, everybody else wants to pile in and try to get that same advantage. So it was a little baffling that it was five different issues. As you had said, uh, it doesn't really matter with a field of 11 and great to have a couple extra drivers. But uh, the field of 11 uh, doesn't really matter where you start. You know, if you got a good race car, you're going to the front, especially knowing you're going to be two or three wide at one point. Let's jump into the race. Um, 40 laps around the 2.5-mile circuit. Uh, carb day. So people start rolling in. You know, the grandstands start to fill up, uh, especially on the main straightaway as guys try to get into position for the pit stop contest that happens later on after the Freedom. 
Um, I saw some great videos from some people up in different corners who were absolutely loving the race. I shared one actually to my social because I thought it was fantastic. But the race itself, uh, Joey, just what we what we normally see, right? You, you find three to four or five guys up front that can that can go for it. And the front three guys, usually front four guys, get aggressive. Everybody wants to lead. They're all trying to make sure they don't get shuffled back to fifth or sixth. They're getting a feel for what it's like to run in, in dirty air, what it's like to lead. I just love the, you know, that first 20, 20 to 30 laps, everyone's feeling each other out. Yeah. And, you know, it, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this just briefly is the fact that, like, whenever we get started and everybody's under pace laps, you know, we saw the little issue with, with Jared Andretti kind of spun out under the pace laps. We've got to get back going again. But right as we're getting ready to take the green, I see Aaron Tealitz, who is kind of coming uh-huh. in as a, as a one-off. And we all know that he is a big bullet in the chamber on, on any race day. He comes in as kind of the fill-in for Bellardi for a crown jewel event for Indy Lights. And from what I understood, it was a drive shaft issue. And my heart just broke for him because I'm like, man, this kid can't even get a fighting chance. Uh, it, it just it baffles me because I, I love the fact that he's got opportunities in sports cars, but I hate the fact that he doesn't have more opportunities in the open wheel side because his talent is virtually limitless, in my opinion. But not even a fighting chance in the race. Um, we go on. We have a little bit of action that we didn't really necessarily want to see at the start. With uh, It looked like David Malukas just whenever we got the got the first green flag lap, I believe it was on lap two, as it was officially scored. He gets into turn three. And it looks like he just was on cold tires and cut the apex way too soon and just lost the back end of the car. And unfortunately, Chris Wyndham was in the wrong place literally at the wrong time. And for his Indy Lights career, he's got one practice and two laps to show for. Yeah, it's, it's just tough, isn't it? It's it's, it's terrible. It's it was interesting. I'll I'll first comment on uh, on Aaron uh, again for him to be able to you know the, the the ride became available. He finds out about it busts his tail to find some support to be able to make sure that he can get into this program, gets in the car, you know, jumps in in practice right before qualifying, ends up with the fastest no-toe speed as well, which I thought was very interesting. I think he would have been a challenger for the race win. Didn't qualify all that well. Bumped up a little bit, of course, um, with the issues. Goes to P3 with the guys that got got DQ'd. Um, but yet, yeah, you know, when you're on, I'm on pit lane for IndyCar Radio and you hear the spotters saying, car slowing, and it's Aaron Tealitz. And like you, my heart falls. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. This guy, like you said, uh, has won championships, won the, uh, the Pro Mazda championship, which is now Indy Pro 2000. Got a chance to do a bunch of Indy Lights racing. He's an Indy Lights race winner. Um, we all want He wants to go to IndyCar. That's the focus. He's, you know, he's over with Aim Vassar Sullivan in sports cars, but he wants to go IndyCar racing. What an opportunity this would have been for him to come in, show what he's worth again, and grab a race victory. But as you said, it was a left side half shaft, uh, the drive shaft on the left part of the car. They were looking over on it. They were thinking about, you know, they obviously got him back out on the racetrack, um, but it was lost at that point, as you said. But then we move over to the the, the, the second lap wreck. And you're right, David Malukas just, it looked to me in the in the replays I saw was he was just high on the racetrack coming through and tried to, you know, really pinch it down to the apex to get a good run. And you can't do that on cold tires. You almost can't do that anytime. Uh, car went around and Chris went in with nowhere to go. And, and, and Joey, I know that you'll say this for sure. Cause I think we all did. We all took a big deep breath because that was a hard hit. Number one for Wyndham going over top of him. And then the rest of the car kind of landing on top of David. Yeah. That was one of the most vicious crashes in Indy lights. I've seen like the, the one that sticks out to my mind that was maybe we hate to measure crashes obviously, but I, I think back to a couple years ago with uh, Chase Austin, and yeah, he hit hard, like almost virtually head on on the inside of the turn, turn one wall, turn two, right in the short shoot uh, between one and two. And, you know, that was that was, in my opinion, worse because it wasn't dissipating energy. And in this one, even though it was an incredibly violent crash, the fact that there was dissipating energy from the car spinning, even though it was ripping apart, it was ripping apart. So yeah, was doing a job. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that was a little bit of a relief. Uh, I was holding my breath also because David was in his car a little bit longer than, than I would have liked to have seen. And it looked like he had a little bit of a limp afterwards, but it's cleared. And from what I understand, ready to go for road America in a few weeks. 
So we go back to green. They they get rocking for you know for another what uh, probably around twenty four twenty five laps, and then <laughs> again we all hold our collective breaths because you're looking up at the big screen, and all of a sudden Robert McGinnis is sideways on the racetrack. He and Toby Sowery, Toby I think pushed up into his rear ear sideways. Somehow, from being perpendicular to the racetrack, he now I, I believe through not going too crazy on the steering input to counter to counter steer into the spin. He spins sideways, gets a little bit of help coming back around from Toby, pointing him in the right direction, and somehow they both continue forward. That that absolutely blew me away when that happened. Likewise, I I couldn't (laughs) really add anything else to it. I I was really, really stunned that both were able to continue on, and Toby ended up making a serious run at the very end with it, and just... It speaks to, to also how these cars are made, right? There, There is some durability for, for all the flack that open-wheel cars can take of you can't make contact, you can't do this. There is some serious durability, and as we saw, uh, guys can have an incident like that and continue on. Yeah, Robert McGinnis definitely flat-spotted his tires. I was on pit lane, and uh, Aaron Tillis had actually radioed in to the team saying that he could see that those tires were flat-spotted. He knew that uh, Robert was going to continue to have trouble. As you said, Toby Sauer, though, from there, able to jump up into the fight. And really, that's what it came down to, the last 10 laps. Pretty exciting to watch. Uh, Oliver Askew right in there, of course. Ryan Norman, Renus VK. Dalton Kellett actually made a bid for the lead. At one point, I thought Dalton was going to win that thing. Is, is that a thought you had as well, maybe, Joey? Because he really got racy on the outside line. Yeah, you know, I was talking to him before the race, and not, not directly before, but in, in the day leading up to the race, and... You know, he's finished third in this race, what, three years in a row, it seemed like. So, uh, three years in a row. Yep. Yeah, three years in a row. And we talked about last year, and he mentioned that he was getting a little too aggressive, essentially didn't conserve his tires. And he thought that the game plan for this time going in, and, you know, I actually did think he had a really good shot at winning because I saw how he was managing the, the early and middle stints of the race, just hanging out in P4, P5, not putting his car in a lot of bad positions, not trying to make too many moves, letting everybody else rotate the lead, try to fight Ryan Norman for that top spot that, that he held on to for 29 laps of the race. And, yep. you know, he goes and makes this push, and I'm like, he's really got a really good shot at this. You know, he's, yeah. he's cutting it down on, on the bottom, and I would have thought that just from the temperatures, the way he managed everything, I actually thought that he was in the best position because of tire management to once he got out front, hold the lead. Unfortunately for him, that necessarily didn't come to be, but I thought for everything that he was trying to execute, I thought he executed it really well. It's just you can't really make up a deficit when you've got three, four guys battling and the air changes and things get disturbed. And also, you know, he got pinched down pretty good whenever he was battling for the lead. And when the second he got pinched, I feel like he just lost the timing of when people were getting runs on him. And that's the big reason why we saw him float back and eventually finish fifth in this race. It was just essentially just bad timing on his part of how, how many people were getting runs on him. Yeah, I agree. Let's look at this final lap and we'll wrap things up for Indy Lights. They, they of course, come down the back straightaway. Uh, Oliver Askew had made that move for the lead. Uh, I think believe into one, they come down the back straight. And I found it very interesting because in talking to Ryan afterwards, he just, he believed that he needed to make the move instead of staying behind Oliver through three and four and then getting the run. I think he probably was getting some, I'm going to say probably, I haven't confirmed it, but probably getting some feedback from the, from his spotters saying, Hey, you got guys coming behind you because both Renus VK and Toby Sowery were there. You know, I think that he figured, Hey, they're going to get a run on me. And this is going to be another four wide finish if I don't do this. So he makes the move around the outside into turn number three. Uh, has what I thought was a pretty good lead coming out of three over, you know, through the short shoot over to turn four. I, in my mind, was like, wow, this is unless Oliver gets a really good run out of four. I think I think Ryan's got this thing handled. Of course, <laughs> as uh, as Oliver told us afterwards, he took a big wide run, uh, and I, you know, he took the wide run. It was actually he said that Norman took a wider run, and that allowed him to pinch to the bottom and get clean air. He kept his foot in it. Flat foot all the way through turn four. And uh, as is now history uh, for the Freedom 100. He outruns uh, Ryan to the line by six thousandths of a second. And I, I know just an old school Freedom 100 finish, the drag race to the line. But a lot of chess pieces had to fall into place for Oliver Askey to be able to win that one. Yeah, fourth closest finish in Indy Lights history. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. incredible. I, I think what's still funny about this, 
Number one, uh, we all look at Ryan Norman first to, to address him. We all viewed him as a championship threat coming into this year, kind of Kyle Kaiser model of in his third year, the ascension growing, and there was a lot of a lot of favoritism on him to really be a championship threat. And he's had some rough luck at the early part of the season, so it was refreshing to see him get some really good luck in terms of just being able to have the dominant car, because he did have the dominant car, and lead a bunch of laps. Uh, end up getting a, a runner-up finish. I know it's not necessarily how he would like to have had it, uh, just based on performance. But it's got to be encouraging to see that he can get some positive momentum rolling for what is the toughest part of the year when we roll into summer and you're going to a handful of these stops when the big chunk of the championship is really decided. And I, I thought on that last lap, on that last corner, he did everything right. And when you look at yep. history, you know, the the outside pass is what's made to win this race. And he tried to cover that by going wide. He made he made the tail of that car extremely wide and made Oliver cut low. And we've never seen a pass where a guy's had to cut low, cut from high to the bottom to win this race, because usually you're stalling out the car. And it, somehow, some way, and I thought that Oliver's run was stalled. When when we see him coming up on, on Norman coming out of four, there was a moment where it really did look like he did stall Oliver's run, and I thought that Norman had it at that point. And then when Oliver cut low, I don't know where that speed came from. I have no idea, but it was enough to nip him at the line for an incredible finish. Yeah, no doubt about that. Oliver Askew gets the win for Andretti Autosport. In fact, Andretti won two with Ryan Norman in second. Arenas VK, who just, I think he, it seemed to me like he just didn't quite have enough to be able to challenge, but still comes home with a solid third place finish. Toby Sowery in that oval debut ends up in fourth and Dalton Kellett, as you had said, uh, rounding out the top five. Uh, Jared Andretti, his first Freedom 100 start ends up in sixth. Lucas Cole in seventh. Robert McGinnis holds on to eighth. Aaron Tielitz got 35 laps and he was five laps down as the team replaced uh, that half shaft, he ends up in ninth. Chris Windham and David Malukas, of course, in the incident on lap number two, 10th and 11th. Uh, Joey, looking at the championship chase, uh, this moves uh, ask you to a point lead of 11 markers as we head to the next event, of course, about three weeks from now at Road America. Arenas VK right in there. So the two drivers who have really been kind of rivals, right, through USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000 for the last couple of years, they're in the middle of the battle. Uh, Robert McGinnis in third. Toby Sowery fourth, Ryan Norman fifth in the points. And I and wasn't able to confirm it, but hearing, I'm not sure if you can confirm this or or potentially give us some insight, but hearing that Toby Sowery very lightly, likely here for the entire season now in the BN racing machine. I have heard that. I haven't confirmed it. I've heard the very same thing. I, I think it's needed. I First off, to me, I know Oliver won the race and, and Norman dominated the the Mr. Excitement of the race, the Alexander Rossi-esque type of drive had to go to salary in the Freedom 100. It just Agreed. That team continues to impress me through and through. With I mean, it's a rookie outfit for an Indy Lights team. They're not a rookie outfit by road to Indy standards, obviously. But what Bryn has been able to do, the growth that we've seen out of that team, what Toby brings to the team. I mean, David's already highlighted it and told me that it, it – you know, David Malukas said he forced me to essentially change my my driving style, my breaking points. You know, there were certain weaknesses in my game that he was help, able to help me with. And I think it's it's great that that type of partnership is available for David because Toby does have some quite a bit more experience uh, from yes. Europe. But we need to see this team be able to to deliver on a consistent basis because they are probably the one biggest threat to upset the Apple card for anybody that's not in an Andretti Autosport car or a Junkos um, racing car. And, and let's, Joey, let, let's just throw that. Let's just throw this out there as well. Now the next race we go to is road America where Malukas and Sowery dominated the action last year, going one, two in both races of the double header in Indy pro 2000. I like, I like that storyline. That's exactly where I was going with it. Actually, Rob, yeah, just, I beat you too. I mean, you know, it works for me, but I, I just think that the the other end of this, though, um, just to kind of highlight a little bit of this championship, there are some things that I've really enjoyed from this year overall. Because when I, and in particular, like Oliver Askew's a stud. We've known he's a stud since he got into USF 2000. I, I, James Hinchcliffe used, was coming up to me at a media day. And he's like, hey, you were at Homestead for the test, right? Yeah. How did, how did Oliver do? I was like, what? 
And he's like, how'd Oliver Askew do? And he's like, he's the real deal. And it's like, there's a, there's a NTT IndyCar series driver already recognizing the talent level that exists in the road to Indy and highlighting guys like, like guys like Oliver. And we've known that since day one, we've known Renus is going to grow into a really, really ridiculously good driver. And with somebody like Robert McGinnis, we've always seen the potential there. We've just waited on it to be fulfilled. And I've got to say that he is driving on a whole other level this year. And it's been pleasant to see watching him grow into his own, watching all this momentum. Honestly, he had so much momentum going on his side. It would have been hard for anyone to pick him not to win the Freedom 100 just based on what he was doing the whole month of May at that point. And, you know, obviously it didn't go according to plan for him in the race ended up running into some trouble, but I expect them to be back on track whenever we go back to road America as well. So it's just a lot of talent, a lot of fun to watch. And, and these kids are definitely growing in their own. And that's to me, the funnest thing of all. What I really like about it to put, to put a cap on Indy lights is the fact that we've had a, a number of different winners, right? We've had obviously Zachary Clayman was able to win early. I'm not sure if we'll see him back this year, but Renus VK gets a win. Oliver Askew gets a win. Um, Robert McGinnis is, is victorious. That comes with, with those victories comes confidence and momentum. And I think that's, what's made things exciting because we don't have a dominant driver right now, even though Oliver come off, uh, off a big win here and, and was able to sweep in Coda. I don't think we have a dominant driver in Indy lights. And I really like that and look forward to moving to the next. Here's, here's your one, one here's right. your one small stat. I don't mean to cut you off. Do it. No, There's only two times in the history, not in the history, only two times since, actually two times since the Freedom 100 has the winner of the Freedom 100 gone on to win the championship. I know, yeah. So. That's a tough one. That's a tough one too, right? That we haven't seen, obviously haven't seen it in the last couple of years with, with some of the winners. So we'll see. This could be interesting, yeah. right? I, I like that. St- I like that stat. You're right. All right, folks, this is uh, Rob Howden. This is the Road to Indy Insider, the breakdown, episode number 17 of the Insider. Thank you so much for for downloading us here. Uh, Joey Barnes from motorsportstribune.com and a contributor to IndyCar.com joining me here on this particular edition of the breakdown. Let's go to the Indy Pro 2000 category presented by Cooper Tires. Uh, Again, 12 drivers heading out to Lucas Oil Raceway, the Banked 5.8 mile circuit, about six miles west of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. The track uh, has had a lot of great racing over the years. Uh, it's the Carb Night Classic. At one time, it was called the night before the 500 on Saturday night. Moved it to Friday. Uh, USF 2000 Indy Pro joining the USAC Silver Crown cars. And really, Joey, just it, this is the opportunity for these guys to get their first, you know, first chance on an oval. First, second, third, however many times they've been. Uh, running in the in the lower rungs of the road to Indy. I just think this is a, such a crucial weekend because a lot of these kids so wide-eyed when they first test, but by the time the you know by the time the event's over, they almost feel like they're more seasoned veterans when it comes to it, right? They put a full run in whether it's 75 laps for USF 2000, 90 laps for Indy Pro. They've got those laps under their belts going wheel to wheel. They're just different drivers, I think when they leave this event. I'd agree in full, and I think what's also fun is because you don't know the adaptability that these drivers are going to have to, you know, road courses we go and some of them are undulating and they feel like a roller coaster. When you go and step on an oval, you're looking at G loads, you're looking at pressure on on the head and neck areas. You're trying to set up for the corner. It's also the comfort level and knowing how to swing the car as we're going to probably talk about in this race, the, the or the next race, for sure, the, the diving aspect of it, the car and the, the nose washing up the track, different characteristics. And, if you don't adapt, the typical championship players aren't always the ones that adapt. So this is always a fun race for me just because I get to see how much this shakes up the championship. And, you know, it, it gives certain drivers that maybe didn't have it before some confidence, as you kind of alluded to after the, the Freedom 100 segment. It gives these mm-hmm. drivers enough confidence that maybe by the time we get ready for Road America, by the time we get ready for Toronto and Mid-Ohio and all these all these other races in the summer, they're on, they're racing on a whole different level. So this is always kind of that fun stopgap, so to speak for, for a lot of these young championship drivers. And as we detail both Indy pro 2000 and USF 2000, we're going to talk about the fact that the two guys that were actually able to win first time victors on the road to Indy as well. We'll start with the Cooper tires, freedom 90 in the Indy pro 2000 category. And again, really all we need to talk about 
for to a certain extent is Daniel Frost from Exclusive Autosport. The Exclusive team has been so good over the last couple of years at Lucas Oil Raceway. Daniel was quickest in the testing. He was quickest in qualifying, laying down a two-lap average time, or average speed, rather, of 120.474 miles per hour. Kyle Kirkwood right in there as well. He qualified in second. Rasmuth Lint, the point leader, he and his Hunkos uh, racing teammate Stingray Rob uh, were third and fourth. They launched from row number two. Jacob Abel did a good job for Abel Motorsports. He started fifth, and Corey Enders for D-Force Racing in the six spot. Can't forget to talk about Charles Finelli from Fat Boy Racing, 50-something years of age. Qualifies seventh. That's badass. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I, I tell you this. It's it's getting Cape Motorsports-esque, isn't it? Like with, with exclusive autosport, and in particular, Lucas Oil Raceway. Yeah. You throw a setup on the car. Hey, we know this works. You need to adapt your driving style to make sure that you can kind of fit this this setup because we know this works. We know it's bad fast. So yep. so you know, get your tail out there and go get it. And to his credit, Daniel Frost, I mean, that was an impressive drive. And you know, he had to hold off if I remember right because there was a few cautions in both races. That was the one that had just the one caution because in the USF race I think we had multiple cautions that Indeed, yeah. So but him having to hold that off and, you know, it's not like he just had another slouch behind him. He had Yunkos Racing behind him uh, and Stingray Rob, a veteran of this event, and then Rasmus Lin, the, the championship leader. So it was pretty good showing for Daniel. You know, we, the, and there was the, the one uh, the one caution, as you said, lap number 51. It was actually his exclusive autosport teammate, Nikita Lestetchkin. Uh, they had an issue with some kind of a mechanical on him. He tried to get it back to pit lane. Uh, and not bring out the yellow, but couldn't quite get there. But indeed, as you said, Frost able to manage the yellow, was able to stack everybody back up in three, got on the power early, was real good over the opening lap, even though Stingray Rob was pushing. Uh, But Frost, as you said, really from start to finish, didn't put a wheel wrong, a perfect run, ends up winning by almost five seconds. Same goes for Stingray Rob because he slotted into third spot, I believe, early and then was able to get by his teammates. Oh, no, not, not his teammate. He was actually able to get by Kyle Kirkwood for the position, which I think was good. Kyle, of course, uh, a veteran from the, of, of the Ovals from last year. Um, and with RP Motorsports Racing, they were pretty strong as well at Lucas Oil Raceway you know, last year with, with Harrison Scott and Lodovico Lorini. Uh, for Kirkwood, though, in the middle of a battle, Joey, with both Hunko's cars, because by the end of it, he ended up in fourth as Stingray Rob went by early. And in fact, I believe it was a last lap pass. I'm trying to call the race and actually wasn't calling that particular battle as I was kind of giving props to Daniel as he came across start finish. But Rasmus Lint was able to get Kyle Kirkwood, I believe, on the final circuit. Yeah, I was really, really stunned by that because I thought Kirkwood had just enough to hold it. And quite frankly, for championship implications, I was kind of hoping Kirkwood would be able to hold it because... You know, we want to see this thing get get dramatic and, and play out and, and be a lot of fun. For whatever reason, and maybe this is the, the Cape Motorsports effect, as we've seen in the past, because USF 2000, Cape Motorsports is untouchable. It is a it is a different world whenever you're progressing up to Indy Pro 2000. And, you know, this is a clear indication of that. I mean, Kirkwood, incredible talent. And for whatever reason, for everything that fell their way last year, when he was with Cape Motorsports, he's with RP Motorsport Racing, and I feel like they're close. They're incredibly close, but I feel like, th- and this is a perfect analogy for essentially their season. They're missing by just that much, just a skosh, to to be able to get those podiums, to be able to get those wins, to be able to battle. It feels like there's just little hiccups each and every weekend, but the second they get those righted, I think you could watch this team have the potential to go on a tear. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that if you look, if you just look at the at the line score for, for Kyle for this year, you know, he's, he's got a couple of really good, like three really good finishes. And then he's got the two where he had trouble in the opening lap, right? He had the trouble in the opening lap in the opening race at St. Petersburg, wing damage, had to come in pit. Same thing for the second race at the GP weekend in Indianapolis, where he again got, you know, someone got into him. And that's just, that's that luck factor. I, I hate to say it's luck because, you know, the drivers are positioning themselves in per- certain places on the racetrack, but you're not in control what the guy beside you does coming across on you, whatever it may be. And just those two opportunities where he didn't have that issue last year. Kyle uses his experience from karting and his F4 racing to be able to stay out of trouble. 
and maybe those around him just didn't you know, make the move that, that could have hurt him. This time around, he's got two finishes, single-digit points, seven points in the opener, nine points in round four, which has put him quite a ways back. But like you said, they have the speed if they can find just that little bit more, and he can go on a bit of a tear and win a couple of races. That'll turn things upside down for sure. Here's here's a question for you in particular, because right. uh, you would know this better than most. Do you think that being at a, at a team like Cape Motorsports, maybe, I mean, obviously it's going to help you, right? Like you can go and, and you've got a great shot at a championship. You've got great experience in that crew, and it's hard to find anybody better to, to learn from than the Cape brothers. But when you start to look at the fact that you're – probably going to start on pole you're probably going to lead a bunch of laps and you're probably going to win the race in usf 2000 when you move up to indy pro where they don't have a, a presence in really anymore do you feel like you it's almost like you're a rookie all over again not from the standpoint of you're in a new series but the race craft that you didn't necessarily have to worry about as much on an on a usf 2000 side i feel like in some ways you know kyle's a really talented racer and you know raced in in formula four formula three and in obviously in usf 2000 and the racecraft is not something i care to question but i i think there's something to be said for how people are racing him just as much because there's not that comfort level there's not those kind of developments the only person that he was able to really race against last year was rasmus and I, i think there's something to that well, uh, here's where I'll start in commenting. First and foremost, when you when you I believe that when you race for Cape Motorsports, Dominic and Nicholas demand 100% all the time. You know, the minute you leave the pits to the minute you come back into pit lane, you're on it. You're on the throttle. You're not cruising around. Get out there, get a feel for the car on cold tires. You know, they want you on the throttle from the very beginning. And so there's a lot of pressure that gets put on those drivers. Not so much pressure even, but their the expectations of how they're going to approach every session. I think is one of the things that makes Cape such a championship winning squad. You go back with a guy like Kyle Kirkwood, though, who's come up through the ranks of karting and the amount of time he's put on his racecraft, you cannot question it. He he's aggressive, but he knows when to be in a situation. He knows when to be out of a situation. That said, one thing that I, I'll, I'll kind of balance this out from what you're saying in karting. One of the things about national level karting, top level karting, it's the same thing. Wherever you qualify is where you start. So you qualify on pole, you start on pole. If you win the pre-final, you start the final on pole. There are times when a driver up front with good speed will never have to see another driver, never pass another driver, never defend their lead, never retake the lead. It's an issue I've always had. I think drivers that don't get a chance to run from the tail of the field or mid-pack, they're losing the opportunity to develop their racecraft. Now, on the top levels, that's not going to happen all the time in senior because there's so many great seniors. The guy can qualify pole one day and not and qualify seventh the day before, the next day because the, the quality is so good in the junior categories. I, th- I think a lot more times we see somebody get really good on a weekend and never have to see another driver all weekend. So that is an issue with kids coming up through the ranks. And yeah, it's, I think it's a viable, uh, a viable comment about running with Cape or whatever team in USF 2000. If you're dominant and never have, have to pass a driver, never have to defend, you're probably not, leveraging that opportunity for racecraft development as much as you are, you know, career and resume development. Now, granted last year, you said he had Kyle had to battle that with Rasmuth Lint. He had a number of great battles with Igor Fraga as well. You know, Kalen Frederick was in there. There was a number of drivers that were in the fight, but for the most part, he was able to get out front in his 13 wins and not get challenged. So is that part of what's going on? I don't know if he can qualify on pole. I think he's going to be tough to beat throughout the rest of the year. But as you said, Joey, he hasn't really had the pace to get those pole positions. Yeah, and he's with a really good squad, right? Like Harrison Scott was driving with them last year and showcased a lot of what he could do. I like just a scotch. That's that's all it is. And the yeah. second he gets it, <laughs> uh, this this could be a, a tear for the ages uh, for the summer because uh, you know it'll be a lot of fun because Rasmus is coming into his own. We're seeing Rasmus really get comfortable being up there battling for podiums and battling for wins. And that should get a lot of people shaky because he didn't necessarily come from this background. And it, it's just, it's another driver that that's really good in karting that is starting to get really good in cars. A very, very dangerous combination. And where's he, where's he from? We got this sensation going on in IndyCar. Where's he from, Rob? No kidding. We're bringing all these Swedes in. Yeah. Right. Just, this is amazing. So, 
here's so again, it's race wins are about momentum. So the guy that does really have the momentum now is Daniel Frost, an exclusive autosport. He had a couple of podium finishes uh, at the Grand Prix, um, or one at the Grand Prix. Was it, was it one at the Grand Prix to get two? Was he was he podium both days? I don't think he was. I think he was podium one day and fourth, I believe, the day after before that. He podiumed at the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. But Daniel Frost wins here in the Oval. He's going to go to Road America with a ton of momentum. Stingray Rob's got momentum. He's been learning the ovals. The ovals. He was able to beat his teammate. There's a lot of drivers with a lot of momentum. We start looking forward to going to Road America. But this particular race, Daniel Frost ends up winning, dominates all 90 laps, wins by 4.8 seconds. Stingray Rob with the second place finish. His teammate, Rasmus Lint, gets by Kyle Kirkwood on the final lap to get the last spot on the podium. Kirkwood fourth. Jacob Abel, final driver on the lead lap. He ends up in the fifth position. Uh, one lap down, Corey Anderson sixth. Moises De La Vera in seventh. Philippe Dennis in eighth. Charles Finelli two laps down. Uh, an issue, as we said, for Nikita Lestoshkin, a mechanical. He was out on lap 48. And then Parker Thompson, I believe he and Saravalli potentially got together. They were battling it out for what I believe was seventh spot, seventh or sixth. And I want to say Parker probably got into, into um, Saravalli because we had a cut tire for Saravalli and then a damaged wing for Parker Thompson. He was out on lap number 67. So really, Joey, that's the big thing. Parker Thompson, couple, you know, after a dominant weekend, at uh, St. Petersburg, a rough, rough weekend at the Grand Prix at Indianapolis, even though he was able to come back for a couple of fifth place finishes to be able to finish down in 10th position. He now drops to fourth in the championship. And that's rough. I, it, it, and it's all happening at the wrong time for, yeah. for him. I mean, there's never a right time, but when you see, we go back to it. When you see all this momentum growing for everybody else, if you can't get on the train, you're going to find yourself it's going to be real difficult to break that glass ceiling, so to speak, in the championship standings to really get into contention as we get ready for Portland and Laguna Seca and, and you know, the tail end of the year. So hopefully they can get it righted. Um, Cause Parker, I mean, Parker's such a good talent and everything he gets in, but um, you know, and it, it's a first year team with able motorsports though. So I, there's going to be growing pains. Uh, I think the biggest thing I take away from this weekend is Stingray Rob, uh, kind of the, the Robert McGinnis complex, as we alluded to earlier, is the fact that here's a driver who had a bunch of hype, a bunch of buildup around him, a, bu- a bunch of curiosity factor of what he could do. And he's starting to showcase it. You know, he's finally in a good situation with with Yunkos that they're growing together. And I asked him, I was like, what is, what is it about this team? Because, you know, you've been around for a minute. What is it about Yunkos? And he goes – it's just the family atmosphere. It's it re, it's relaxing and demanding at the same time. And Ricardo, you just want to get the maximum out for him, just because he's that kind of guy. And you know, it just it was just another positive for that team that had maybe a bittersweet month of May after the 500. But as far as getting in the show and then what they what they were able to accomplish on a road to Indy level. It was a pretty good weekend for Ricardo Yunkos. Yeah, all in all, a pretty good May, other than, of course, the finale there at the 500. But Stingray Rob, like you said, third year in the series, definitely one to watch. Uh, when it comes to the points championship, Rasmus Lentz still with a bit of a lead. He's got uh, now, what is it, nine points, I believe, over Daniel Frost. So Lint will take the point lead to Road America. Frost with that big win, jumping up to second. Stingray Rob, not that far back. He's just 21 points back. And then, uh, what's it? I think it's going to be around 27, I think, for Parker Thompson behind Stingray Rob. Kyle Kirkwood still quite a ways back. But again, you mentioned earlier, now we go into this run of races, right? We do Road America. We do Toronto. We do Mid-Ohio. Those three races, that meet of the order kind of thing, this is when it starts getting big. We know that Parker Thompson is going to be good at Road America. You got to be certain that he's going to, he's won before at Toronto. He won at St. Petersburg. They're, that baseline setup they have for the bumpy, bumpy uh, street circuits is going to work well for uh, Parker when they get to Toronto. So many storylines still about to develop as we get into the meat of the, meat of the season. Yeah. And I, I think when you look at the championship, I, I hate doing this, but I think when you look at the championship, you're probably looking at the cutoff being Kirkwood as maybe where that championship push is going to come from, from here on out, like the yeah. top five, if you're in that top five, I don't want to call it a safe zone because I really feel like Parker and, and Kyle are really, really in a tough spot 
But if they get some momentum, obviously they're taking away points from Rasmus, from Daniel. Maybe they could turn this around by the time we get into August. But it's going to be a tough haul. When you see Daniel coming into his own, when you say Rasmus coming into his own, Stingrays obviously become really consistent. It's it's just that's a tough, tough lineup to try to get through. <laughs> I know it's crazy. Folks, this is episode number 17 of the Road to Indy Insider. My name is Rob Howden, joined by Joey Barnes from motorsportstribune.com. If you're not following them, make sure it's one of your uh, morning websites to click on to get updated on what's going on in the world of motorsports. We're going to jump now in, into the Cooper Tires Freedom 75, the oval event for the Cooper Tires USF 2000 Championship to cap off this breakdown podcast. Again, the uh, a good field, 19 drivers, and I, and I like to see that. Number, a lot of times in USF 2000, there'll be a number of the rookies that maybe don't run the oval. They'll say, you know what, I'm going to hold off for one more year. Next year, I'll run it. I like seeing them come out because the more seat time you have, the better. This is If you want to be pro and you want to go to IndyCar, this is not an event to skip. And, and, and it was good to see because a lot of our young drivers out having some fun. You know, our 14-year-olds, you know, Nolan Siegel and, and Reese Gold out there racing, which I thought was fantastic. And um, Jack Crawford. Let's, let's and Jack, well, Jack Crawford making his debut as well, the driver from Houston. We'll definitely talk about him. Um, Colin Kaminsky, though, out of the box for, for Pabst Racing. Let's talk about his qualifying run because, and I, and I mentioned to him on the podium uh, as I was calling up the podium, and he was kind of laughing at me that I was, you know, kind of throwing him under the bus. But here's the guy that was pushing hard in practice, Joey, right before qualifying, tapped the wall. Team had to go to work, get the thing together. And, you know, that's always, that always plays with the driver, I think, mentally a little bit. Gets into the wall. Out of the practice session, he goes out for two-lap qualifying. Didn't shake anything down. Right out for two-lap qualifying, puts the car on the pole position. That, to me, was impressive. Yeah, I, I think that we've seen a lot. Paps has, has become – I mean, they've been a really good team for a long time, and you can't ever question what kind of car Augie's giving you because he's going to give you the best possible. Colin has come – we talk about drivers coming to their own I – mean, I hate to be to hit the repeat button, but I mean, Colin Kaminsky, we've seen him grow little by little. And this was a big time statement. I thought this is one of those leaps and bounds, maturity level type of runs, trust in the team. I think that's going to resonate well with the team. Like, hey, you, re- you I, I messed up as a driver. I had to put it on my team and they went to work. And I have 100% faith in everything that they just did. And I went out there and just slotted it on pole. And I think that, that that's something that is going to resonate well. I know that the the way that everything played out maybe didn't go according to plan, but I think there's still so many positives for this outfit and for Colin in, in particular, just because a lot of the attention had been on Hunter McElray, who's been really impressive for Paps after winning the, the Road to Indy shootout scholarship and kind of getting into in the USF 2000. A lot of eyes, a lot of attention on him. It was really good for Colin to really stand up on his own feet and, and remind everybody, hey, I'm that I'm that other guy that's over here at Pabst, and I can still get bad, fast results and, and throw this thing on on pole. Yeah, truly, Colin led the team. Uh, you know, Hunter was quick in practice, but he ended up having that trouble in qualifying on the opening lap, limped it around, and ended up coming home in 19th uh, to qualify at the very tail of the field. But Colin definitely led the Pabst racing team, would start on the pole position. But it was the driver who started right beside him who really was, in the end, the ultimate story for USF 2000, and that is the Aussie uh, Cameron Shields for Newman Walks Racing. Cameron Shields ends up getting his first victory, able to pull to the outside. Uh, at the start, he jumps into the lead and has never headed since, never challenged. The only time really anybody got close was on the restarts when he kind of took it a little too easy, I think, on the opening lap of the restarts. But they closed back up in turn three. But then on that next lap, he was able to pull away. Uh, Kaminsky, again, qualifies on the pole, two-lap average of 110.266 miles per hour. Cameron Shields, not that far back, 110.057 miles per hour. But a first win for the young Australian driver who's got so much promise, has had some bad luck early in the season. Uh, He ends up with at least one good finish at the Grand Prix, comes and gets this big win for himself, and a huge win as well, Joey, for Newman walks racing. They've been in this, in the series for a couple of years. They finally break that goose egg and get that win. And I think it was, I think it was a big day for Brian Hallahan and his crew. It was really shocking that they were able to do this on an oval too, right? Like when you, when you see their, their history and their body of work, yeah. I would have probably put money on, you know, a place like mid Ohio 
more so than than an oval. But that said, Cameron Shields, what is it with these Toowoombans that come up through like Will Power? Uh, you know, and and I'll tell you this, Will Power kind of is mentoring Cameron a little bit. You know, they they both know each other. He's taken it to Cameron pretty well, and Cameron was actually there whenever Will was getting uh, awarded at the Australian Embassy the Tuesday leading into to all the racing for last weekend. And it, it's really refreshing to see somebody from IndyCar really take, even though obviously the connection's from the same town, a small town as they both talk about. But I think the coolest thing about this is when Cameron Shields wins this race, Will Powers FaceTiming him and, and yeah. giving him thumbs up. And I think that that's one of the coolest things, a confidence builder for you know a decade for any young driver, right? And I, I think you get that, but blended in with the fact that it's an Indy 500 winner. That's that's saying a lot. And it, it was great for Newman's Newman Walks. It's great for Cameron Shields. I'm excited to see if they can kind of build on this. And, and as we see, you know, the rest of the, the podium, as you were shaking it down, you know, you got Shields, you got Baron Kaminsky. I'm, I was pretty impressed with some other guys too. I mean, we, we talked about Jack. Let me, let me, let me set it up first. Let, oh, let me, let me oh, set up qualifying bad. and no, let's go. Let me set up qualifying and we'll roll in. But I will comment on the fact that, yeah, we're down in victory lane after Cameron wins. The cool thing about Will Power is the fact that he was over at St. Petersburg as well. He came over to the Newman Walks trailer in St. Petersburg talked to Cameron after his first you know, practice sessions about the racetrack a little bit. So he has been very proactive and indeed you're right. He, he made sure that Cameron came to Washington DC to be part of that, uh, uh, that honor, the, the celebration they had for Will's win at the uh, Australian consulate there on the Tuesday before the race. And then of course uh, with, uh, with his, their manager, CR Cruz gets on FaceTime while we're in victory lane. I mean, while I'm interviewing, <laughs> While I'm interviewing Cameron, Will Powers right there on FaceTime and giving him a congratulations, which is great. Now, I want I just want to set up before we jump in because there are a lot of stories I know you want to hit on and I do as well. Colin Kaminsky with the fast lap. Cameron Shields goes second quick during his two-lap qualifying effort. I th- Almost the, the biggest story of qualifying was Reese Gold for Cape Motorsports. Fastest drivers of all the three of the Cape Motorsports pilots, the rookie from Puerto Rico, uh, P3, Manuel Cabrera in fourth from Exclusive Autosports, and Alex Barron, the veteran driver, ends up in the fifth spot. Now, Joey, we jump into the race. Um, you know, Cameron Shields gets the run out of turn number two, able to beat uh, Colin Kaminsky down to turn three. Everybody kind of settles in, and we start to go racing at that point. From there, early on, it was a tremendous battle because I believe Cabrera was Manuel Cabrera was able to get to third. It was the battle, a side-by-side battle between Reese Gold on the on the top side and Alex Barrett on the bottom in the uh, in Legacy Autosport car. That was probably 10 laps long or more of them going side by side. Yeah, and, and you know, and we saw that battle and everything was starting to sit, take shape. And before you know it, uh, next thing you know, we end up with two cars in the fence. And yep. I'm, I'm a little, I was a little baffled because when I saw how everything was developing, I mean, we're watching – Baron kind of follow through in a turn one, really pressing the issue, really trying to get that position. And, and Baron yeah, is set, set, set that set that up a little bit. Baron's able to get by Reese Gold. The, one, the incident you're talking about, he finally is able to get by Reese Gold. He goes to P4. We're working lap traffic. He's now putting the pressure on Manuel Cabrera for third. And then that's such what happens. They're rolling into turn number one, two. Cabrera's trying to get underneath the lap car of Bruno Tomaselli. And then, of course, we have drivers in the wall. Yeah, so you got you got Cabrera going into one under Tomaselli, and everything looks you know status quo going in because you got that that bottom lane which is still middle groove of the track at, at a place like Lucas Oil, and it looks like Cabrera is going to be able to pull off the pass and exit off turn two and, and be fine just the way the momentum was rolling, and then you see you, you see Alex Barron come through and it gets behind Cabrera and just dives it low and Barron is a veteran of this race. So he understands the the complexities of an oval. And this is where I was just kind of staggered and a little baffled is the fact that he goes in, he dives under, and the car just starts to wash a little bit and wash more and wash more. And by the time you get right in between turns one and two, there's contact with, with Cabrera, who gets into Tomaselli, who hits the wall pretty pretty good. And, you know, next thing you know, we got two cars out of the race and Baron's able to continue on. The, the guy that, 
isn't the victim uh, is essentially the one that ends up uh, going on and, and getting a good result. And just, I tell you this, it's baffling on a number of levels. Um, number one, I don't understand, in my opinion, how there wasn't something done at that point. I would love to know the reasoning why there wasn't. And I'm also kind of shocked that either A, it wasn't just a, a drive-through penalty, let him restart at the rear of the field for contact that could have been, in my opinion, avoidable. Uh, you know, settle in for another lap, maybe wait till he clears Bruna and get him in three. If you've got a faster car, it's already still early enough in the race. You can execute the pass at a later point. We all know that that's the case. So, yeah, there, it was only the, it was right at the halfway point, right? There was forty. Uh, next, not even that. There was what forty-five laps down. I think there was about thirty to go. So, still a long way to go. And you know, I, I haven't even I haven't seen the replay yet. In, in my time getting back and being busy here in the office, I haven't seen the replay of that incident, and I will go look at that for sure. Uh, but again, you're always hoping about patience. I I, I know that I was saying that, that he had been patient getting by Reese Gold. I had not seen the fact that he had gotten into Cabrera, which is a damn shame because, again, like you said, really no need to do that. Um, making it three wide, not really the call to push. So tough one for sure for for Manuel Cabrera, who really probably had a, at least a top five going, even if he had lost the spot to ultimately lost the spot in the battle with Barron. Um, that probably just did not need to happen at all. No, and- Otherwise... Keep going. You got more. more well, I was just going to say that whenever we have a situation like that, though, and it shakes everything up, you get to learn about guys like Cameron Shields and and that late restart and or that that rate restart, as you said, with roughly thirty to go, because there was two restarts yep. from the halfway point on, and I thought that for for the way Cameron handled the first restart, you were like uh, a little questionable, but a little shaky. Oh, but yeah. first restart, but I get it. But you could tell instantly, and we, I know we'll get into it later, but on that second restart, I, I thought that he executed that, learned from his mistakes, and was able to get get a really nice, clean getaway. But, uh, you know, for for Cabrera, it was super unfortunate just because they did have some, some good momentum rolling in. They needed a good finish to just kind of keep themselves up there, keeping the conversation. And, you know, it just – it's unfortunate, in my opinion – that something that could have been prevented wasn't. And to me, it kind of got rewarded in some ways, which was not something that I was a fan of. I agree with you on that. And in, indeed, we have one more caution, as you said, lap 61, Jack Miller uh, losing the rear end of his machine up into the wall in turn number three. That brought the yellow out. We had essentially a nine-lap dash after that. And as you said, uh, Cameron Shields, the young Aussie, doing a really good job learning from that first restart was able to pull away. They closed up again. He was a little ginger again through three and four, but you know what? I think he knew that he was going to be able to pull away on the high side and they weren't going to be able to get him on the bottom at all. And he ends up uh, pulling away to a 1.4 second win. Uh, Alex Barron able to get by Colin Kaminsky in the late going to take second. And then Kaminsky wrapping up. It was a great day in third. You had mentioned Jack Crawford started in the seventh spot. He moved up to the fourth position. Crawford making his debut in the month of May uh, started at the Grand Prix uh, event at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, running with D-Force Racing, the number 52, finishing fourth. And Brayden Eves, actually, pretty impressive run for the, the point leader. Joey qualified as the slowest of the Cape Motorsports drivers back in 12th position, but was able to race forward to fifth, being the top Cape driver, and, and, and not stretching it well. He did actually stretch his point lead, but not so much over the guys behind him. Uh, a big lead, though, right now for Braden Neves heading to Road America. That gap now about 40, I think 44 points heading to the next event. And and that was one of those conversations that we were having up in the media center, up in the press box, getting ready for this race is that seemed like that could be a possibility where this could shake up the points. And Braden Neves, yeah. credit to him, he did his damnedest to make sure that wasn't going to happen and, and climbs up and, you know, Whenever you qualify 12th, it's damage control at this point, right? You want to mitigate. You want to try to get up there. And, um, you know, credit to him for being able to do that. I didn't necessarily think that that was a possibility. I thought we probably would see him float around 8th. You know, I figured that was a fair assessment. But, you know, yeah, I, couldn't, that's where I, was. I, I couldn't necessarily account for the Baron Cabrera incident. The, the two restarts that would end up happening and really shake up because those those restarts certainly got wild in the mid pack. And, you know, to his credit, he took advantage of it. I was, I was really impressed 
just because uh, this guy, we've seen flashes of it most of the season, but I was really impressed with Christian Rasmussen. Um, you know, qualifying 15th, being able to get up there and get a sixth place finish for Jay Howard, driver development. It was really good finish for them that they needed. And, you know, and it comes on a, on a platform that they're not familiar with, you know, because I mean, even in the formula ranks, the junior formula ranks of, of Formula Four, Jay Howard, they don't race on ovals. So for this outfit to come in here, do what they do, I thought that that really showed what their potential is as a first year team early on. And it really showed the growth of somebody like Christian Rasmussen, who, uh, you know, if we get winding, I think he's got a really good opportunity to get a few podiums. And if things play out the right way, that team could surprise and get a win in the late summer summer months. I don't disagree with you on that. I think that the, he showed his pace at St. Petersburg. Didn't quite have everything he wanted at the Grand Prix in Indianapolis, but uh, a good finish here, as you said, coming from 15th up to 6th. My final note on, on the Cooper Tires USF 2000 Championship over the first five races, right? Three weekends, essentially. I want to give props to the two 14-year-olds because in Nolan Siegel for Newman Walks Racing and Reese Gold uh, for Cape Motorsports, you got a couple of kids here. And I'm not sure how exactly how old Jack Miller is because Jack has shown some good speed. But but Siegel and, uh, and Gold, both of those drivers have stayed out of trouble. They finished every lap. They've they've had you know they've they've turned in some really good finishes. Reese Gold ends up in in eighth spot here on the oval. Uh, Nolan Siegel was tenth, a top ten finish, his first top ten. These guys are staying out of trouble. They're gaining experience. They're racing hard for for a couple of kids like that, fourteen years of age, no issues whatsoever. That's exactly what anybody would want out of those two drivers. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that it's just it's incredible, right? Like uh, right. Tony Canon was at the oval oval clinic. And talking to a lot of these young drivers, and afterwards we were sitting there talking. He goes, "This is unbelievable." He goes, "I was, I was like 19, 20 years old, somewhere around there, whenever I got a chance to to test my first car, and it was at Phoenix in 1996." And I look at I look at these kids, and they're 14 years old. The amount of experience on an oval that they're going to have by the time they could be 20 years old is so incredible, and that's only going to help the overall product, not just in lights but also an IndyCar when, when you just see this continue to elevate. And there's a reason why IndyCar is getting the cream of the crop, the best of the best, and why the racing is just so tight. And it's because of training grounds like this, getting getting young kids like this in at 14 years old and continue to get them acclimated. It's just amazing the amount of experience that these young kids can get at this at this. <laughs> At this point in time, yeah, I'm almost baffled. Yeah. I can't even speak. So, <laughs> let's let's cap this off. With a, I'll, I'll give a quick look uh, at the championship after three rounds for USF 2000. As I had said, Braden Eves with a pretty solid lead right now, 44 points over Hunter McElroy. But you never know what could happen. Everything's wide open. Hunter McElroy in that second spot. He's got a pretty good advantage as well. 23 points over Darren Keene and Colin Kaminsky, who sit in the uh, in the third spot, tied. The crazy thing is you go from third, the tie for third, all the way back to seventh. So essentially five drivers all within three points. Keenan Kaminsky tied with 86. Alex Barron after that second place finish now up into the, what is the fourth spot, but fifth essentially in, with 85 points. Cameron Shields bouncing up with the victory. He goes to, to uh, sixth with 84. And Manuel Suleiman still there uh, with 83 points, P7. This championship, like I said, Eves has a big, big gap, no doubt. But all it takes is a couple of DNFs and it changes everything. He can still push his way over to a win or for a championship. But as we all know, especially with some street races coming, you never know what's going to happen in turn one and things could most definitely change. Yeah. And I look at that situation with the points lead right now. How fortunate is Braden Eves after St. Petersburg? Because this, if not for that last lap incident but with Darren, Darren Keene and uh, was it, was it, was it Rasmussen. Rasmussen. Rasmussen? Yeah, yeah, Rasmussen. Rasmussen. Uh, when you see that play out like it was, you you give those two guys the top two spots and you let Eves finish third or fourth because he was battling with McElroy at the time. I think that this is going to look completely different, obviously. And yep. he's fortunate for that. Uh, but the undefeated streak is over, officially. This, this This whole really awesome run that he had going on, it snapped. Thanks to Newman Walks. And I think that, 
you know, may, all it takes is one race, one thing to get you a little off key, one run of momentum, one break in the cycle. And we could see everybody from, from McElroy, who's obviously right behind him, to Suleiman running in seventh in the championship. We could see any one of those guys really make a huge run at this and a really good push because these teams are starting to close the gap on Cape Motorsports each and every year. Well, it looks ominous whenever you see everything on paper. Guys like Hunter McElray are really pressing the issue. Pabst is just, bar none, probably the biggest threat to upset that Apple card. But uh, we got some really impressive drivers, and, and obviously someone like Cameron Shields proved that Newman Walks is no slouch. And uh, they got their first win this weekend. Why not try to turn that into momentum and try to get them their first championship? And as you and I said, we're going into the uh, the meat of the schedule here right now. Road America at the end of June. Then we go to the streets of Toronto. Then the triple header at Mid-Ohio. Three major events as we lock down a bunch of points before heading into the final stretch run. We're done here, Joey Barnes. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it, bud. Hey, I always always fun to come on here, Rob, and, and talk racing with you. Always something I'd like to take time for, so... Well, listen, let's give you the opportunity. Obviously, you're front and center. You're focused on on providing coverage of both IndyCar and the road to Indy. Uh, I know it's motorsportstribune.com. A lot of your stuff gets posted to IndyCar.com as well. You become one of the, you know, one of the most respected journalists in the the press box. Uh, How can people follow you on social media? So my my Twitter handle is actually at JoeyBarnes85. And that's ES because some people think Barnes is just NS. Uh, so it's uh, Joey at Joey Barnes 85. It's uh, on Facebook, my, my Facebook page. It's also Joey Barnes 85. So you can find me on there as well. And then as far as uh, Motorsports Tribune is concerned, uh, you go to Twitter and it's at Motorsports Trib. Tribune's pretty long apparently on Twitter. So, you know, kind of <laughs> shorten that. But, uh, you know, hopefully all the fans come by and check us out. Got a good group of young riders who uh, were at the Indy 500. Going to be at a number of events this year, uh, you know, from the NASCAR championship to also the rest of the IndyCar calendar and, and even some IMSA races as well. So a little bit of diversity for everybody. And, um, yeah, it's just – it's been fun. So hopefully fans will come check us out and uh, see what the future holds as far as riding goes as we write about the future superstars of uh, IndyCar, NASCAR, and IMSA. As Joey said, guys, a lot of great uh, young writing talent at motorsportstribune.com. Joey's done a great job putting that website together. Uh, put it on your bookmarks bar. Make sure that you have a look at it uh, once a day or whatever it may be to, to get fully updated on, on their opinions, of course, on the sport as well. Follow Joey on social media. You can follow me, as always, at, at Rob Howden on Twitter, at Rob Howden Racing on Instagram. Of course, I've got the Road to Indy Insider social media accounts as well. Folks, thank you so much for joining us. This has been episode number 17 of the breakdown the road to in the insider look at the events from the indianapolis motor speedway the freedom 100 and of course at lucas oil raceway the freedom 90 and freedom 75 folks thank you so much for joining us my name's rob howden bye for now <laughs>